everyone. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. I let Brent sit down barely before starting today, but we're back for episode 2022. 20, 22. I used to know how to do it in. Zwei und. Wait, eins, zwei. Yeah, no, I've forgotten how to say it. The, uh, the multilingual version of AB testing will not be releasing this week. Um, <laughs> We're on episode 22. Uh, I forgot for a moment, but now I remember. And good to see you, Brent. Good to be seen by you, Alan. Shall we get, <laughs> shall we get going? Yes. Hey, I read some, I got some mail this week, and um, I'm just going to read the first sentence of it. I want to see what you think. I like reading mail to Brent. Dearest, Al- no, sorry, wrong one. Wrong one. The mail says, with Agile becoming more and more popular, it seems like everyone is running iterative development these days it goes on from there is that it no it goes on from there so but that one opening sentence kind of pushed my buttons in a way that probably isn't obvious to a lot of people no it's obvious to me it is but you are not a lot of people are you no you're not a lot of people so what by body weight i'm at least two ah shush (laughs) shush shush what caught your ear? The, there are Mr. J. There are oh, two. Th- do you have a doctorate? Not yet. I can't call you Doctor J. No. Oh, no. you'll just be Mr. B. So what was it that pushed? What, you know, what, what caught you? There were actually two things that bothered me about that sentence. It was a short sentence. Please tell me. Yeah, read the sentence again. Oh, damn it! I mean, well, keep, sure. All right. With agile becoming more and more popular. It seems like everyone is running iterative development these days. Yes. The two things that bothered me is this idea of you should go with Agile because it's more popular. Ah, uh, yeah. And this idea that Agile and iterative are the same thing. Yeah, the second one really, it's funny you mentioned both of those because the second one is what caught my my ear initially and said, ah, I cry foul and we'll go into that in a minute. But it's interesting. I just polished up my keynote for uh, Star Canada uh, a couple days ago, yesterday, day before. When and was your submission? Oh, the submission was a while back. I, this is the slide deck. But one of the things that kind of came to me as I was putting this stuff together is in the takeaway is you don't make changes like this because they're popular or because you know they're interesting you have to have a reason why although it just for many many reasons talking about this we're talking about leadership uh but yeah really important agile's popular let's do agile it's a really stupid thing to do and a great way to screw up agile and a great way to make crummy software it's so I actually just before here Alan uh i I did another coaching session, and, and so I have a, a variant of Agile that I teach people. It's a two-hour training session, and literally I finished another session uh, an hour ago. Okay, The very first slide, I spent 15 minutes discussing what is Agile, and um, the, these people who push it forward as a popularity thing helps to encourage it to becoming a fad, and mm-hmm. it makes it a lot freaking harder for me to get these people to understand that it is not a religious doc, a dogma. It's not a fad. It's actually the scientific method in action. And, and it is, makes it so much harder to open minds when you already have a prevailing belief, number one, that it's a fad, or number two, 
You have dumbasses in this company who read the first chapter of the Scrum book and look at the first paragraph of the Agile Manifesto and then come back and tell me it's about iterations. Well, it's funny. Um, we're going we're gonna to go way off in the weeds and come back and get on this. That's a very important point. But while you were talking, I was thinking – in doing some research for my talk, I came across this uh, a couple articles sort of bashing Agile, but uh, for different reasons and some good reasons, some not. Uh, but one started off very inter- interestingly. Said, said, my team's doing Agile. I think it's effing stupid, um, but I want you guys to help me out. It's on an, some Agile forum. And he goes, as I understand Agile, it's this. And he described Scrum, yeah. which I thought was interesting, which... You know, again, Scrum is not agile. Right. Well, implementing Scrum in you know accurately is a, is a way of implementing it, agile. There but is anyway. a way of implementing Scrum that is completely non-agile. Absolutely. Uh, that, yeah. Exactly. That the just because you did did seventy percent of Scrum doesn't mean you're agile. Yeah. And the other thing I thought while you were talking was. I would bet nine out of ten agile coaches or people that whether they're called agile coaches, whether they help their team with agile, not I would say nine of ten agile advocates wish there was a new word for it because the agile word has been so screwed up and bastardized. Well, there we we have got to have already talked about this. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But let's let's. What, the point I wanted to get to, and the point I pro, I semi I like in the strategy. Actually, we could go back from year one. No, and start, no. <laughs> Shut up, Brent. <laughs> Shut up. Yes. So yes, there is. And I'm I'm thinking through like the very first thing, um, the first slide. Uh, no, second slide. First slide is the goal slide. Second slide is what is agile. Because I, before I go and I talk about everything else, I want to get these guys out of their head that Agile is iteration or Agile is scrum or Agile is some other thing that it's not. Okay? Um, you're, you're, I, I really wanted to have like a big bang on what Agile was. I'm going to let you give your – get to the – what, what is Agile? Do you have Agile? Well, um, Can I has Agile? Pretend I'm a cat. Sure. I, I, not one with the cat meme. I, I've got actually real work to do. I don't. I don't have the time to spin like you do trolling for. Anyway, Dude. moving on. <laughs> uh, moving on. Um, the first thing I do actually when I do these presentations, I now have a. a I learn of a game called the Penny Game, and it's it's basically I put a simulation. Uh, of the team through three different phases of how to improve their throughput. And and the first thing is I set them up in teams. I actually give them uh, 10 coins of different denominations. And and usually I have multiple teams. Today I had three teams competing against each other. 10 coins of multiple denominations, and they put them in a cup. The first thing is that they have to... um, The output is every person on the team has to have recorded the result of a coin flip. But they have to execute that coin flip in denomination order. So quarters before dimes, dimes before nickels, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Now, the first path, I bike, okay? It goes in the cup. First person has to flip all coins and record it, put the coins back in the cup, and then pass it to the next person. And you do that through the team. I call that 
waterfall mood. All right. Okay. And it is the I've now done this several times, and every time I go through the first phase, I will tell you I have done this like ten times, and I I personally hate phase one. Today, the fastest team got got through. There were only four people got through it all in three minutes, but it felt like fifteen. It was just like, oh, this thing is dragging on. Um, then I, I, I modify it and I tell them, okay, now what you're going to do is one coin at a time. You flip a coin, you can then pass the coin to the next person, and they can go through the chain. Teaching them flow, like combat flow. Okay. Okay. Everybody does the quarter. Everybody does the dime. All right. First person starts. Yeah. He flips his coin, records it. He can now pass the coin to the next person. They can flip. And, and now people are parallelizing, and it goes much faster. And usually that takes about a minute. And then the third phase, what I do is I say, okay, now, teams, we're going to give you one minute to discuss your strategy. And then we're going to do it same way last time. I only care about these two outcomes, that coins are done in, in order first, and everyone has a result recorded. And that third phase... Everybody improved another uh, 20% off of their prior time. Now, the three minutes went down to a minute, like it cut it in a third, and then there was another 20% off of that minute. Um, and that last phase is, is intended to introduce them to how you can prove things if you work as a team, work together towards the goal versus what we talk about all this time, the... the, the Groups of specialists um, conveniently classified under the name team. Um, it drives me nuts. Uh, the That should be what I call phase two now, specialists. Specialists under flow. Now, the next thing I do is I said agile and learning go hand in hand. And agile is the ability to adapt. Adapt to adapt quickly to changing phenomenon. Uh, that's one of the things iterations doesn't do. I, we've talked about it Correct. here before. Um, uh, I know we've talked about it because I called him out, and then he talked to it was Steve Rowe, and he talked about it uh, at our next lunch. He once told me Windows is agile. We do iterations, right? And and it's. And that was an important insight because his and my conversation allowed me to understand what is actually wrong with the word yeah, well, and that there's power in the Well, I word. think two things happen. One is there's just blind ignorance or belief that iterations equals agile. But some people I know believe definition of the word iteration has included, well, you, you reflect and adapt at the end. And um, so it's, they're still wrong. You know, but the point I like to bring up is I worked on – I just got mailed my – Invited me this September to the Win95 team reunion. They're having one 20 year reunion. Okay. Uh, that was my first project at Microsoft. It was mine too. I didn't and, get the invite. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Bummer. What'd you work on at Win95? I was on the At Work Fax team. A little, oh. a little stupid component. So something, yeah, um, so, something nobody used. I worked on networking. Ha! Um, <laughs> ha! I, I made sure you could connect to network networks. <laughs> so about as relevant today as your fax machine. Yeah. Um, anyway, we were we were on iterations. We had three month milestones, and we sure. knew, we knew the work that was planned for each milestone. You know, a year in advance, but they were iterations. Yeah. And, well, and the thing is, um, 
Kanban, which is, in my view, significantly more agile than Scrum is. I, I, I completely agree. Uh, there's not an iteration in there. I know. It's, it's a continuous flow. Now, when everyone thinks of iterations, like they, they think of every sort of PR material you'll, you have ever seen on Agile, right? I'm, I'm currently visualizing in my head Reese's build, measure, learn loop, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think what's happening is these people are just looking at this thing, not reading the words, not processing, and just going, oh, it's a circle, must be iterations, right? Yeah. And they're missing, yeah. like, learn. Uh, uh, one of the ways I tell the story, I'm not going to mention the team today, but I've I've seen situations where it's basically build, measure, build, measure, build, measure, build, measure. Right? That's a loop too. It is, but it's not agile. It's not adaptive. And right. uh, while you're talking, I thought of, and hopefully, even though we haven't actually directly, you're getting kind of the point between iteration and being adaptive, adaptive and learning. And Elizabeth Hendrickson's litmus test for agile, and I'm going to probably badly paraphrase this, but I'll, I'll get close, is something very close to Agile is delivering frequent customer value at a sustainable pace. It's, it's and nothing in not there, quite that, but very close. Okay, close enough to know that that, and I like it because that doesn't imply iterations. It, impl- it implies delivering value and implies sustainable pace. But the important thing that gets missed it, from her The learning bit isn't in her sentence, right? Is that what you're going to say? It's implied. Okay. Because what she says is delivering customer value, not delivering code to customers. Ah, yeah. Let's take a moment to ponder that. How many teams have you been on that delivered value versus delivering features that may or may not be used? How many teams have I been on? Yeah. I can think of some I've been uh, on. Most of them. <laughs> um, matter of fact... Uh, it's made a. It's made me. It's made me. It, it, it's it's been a brand of mine because of that. Pe- people call me out and want me to come and, and work on their team because I they, they view me as having a, a customer focus. And um, there was a, a a buddy of mine that now works outside of Microsoft, and he was describing a story where like. I wish you had been here to do this because this the project, if you had managed it, it would have been much faster, much sooner, and people would be happier, right? It's um, I mentioned this on the podcast before, the, the, the variant. Then shut up. People can go back and listen to all the podcasts and They're find not going to. Okay, fine. You, finish. You just, you just, finish. You just did the stats for that. One of the key things that, that I have added to the variant of, of Agile that, that I teach now is after it's released, most, most scrum boards, it goes, check-in, done. Okay? Not mine. It's, it's checked in, and then it's released, then it's validated by the customer, then it's done. I'm not going to call it done until I've proven that the requirement assumptions of why we built this code are proven true. We built this code because we intended it to add some value to somebody before we really progress further on the plan, or not, maybe not before. I'm not going to necessarily block, but I want to get that out, get that validation done, because if that's going to negatively impact 
the rest of my plan. I want to know now. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I've worked with orgs where the getting that feature done was the ultimate goal. Done and checked in. And and not much beyond there. Uh, th- there was yep. with it's done, and I know I'm gonna have to fix a bunch of bugs and make it work and add some fit and finish. But for now, it's done. And for me, it's not even close. I have a litmus test I use quite often, and it sort of discusses um, three common software development paradigms that I see a lot. Yeah, first and foremost, waterfall, what you see is that they're trying to constantly ask the question, is the plan on track? Right? That's it. All we care about, did you get this thing done by this date? I wouldn't even necessarily, I, I, I agree with that. And that's the, the iterative model. <laughs> yes. The, the, only, the only part I would question on that is, uh, another thing that pushes my buttons is waterfall and, and Agile are not necessarily opposites, and very few teams actually do true waterfall. But which oh, is as it should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I but I get the point. I get the point. Um, yeah. Alan and I talks about this a lot. Um, the, that particular topic, right? The the thing is is waterfall. True waterfall was written in this this white paper. Um, I know Alan remembers Winston the Royce. author. Yep, um, but no one actually executes it. So, so no. In the paper, he said it, he said it was dangerous is, and prone to error. No, but waterfall today is whatever the serial phased gated sure. crap that people are yep. used to, and it's going to be very similar. Scrum in ten years is not going to be what Schwab wrote. It's what the society has turned it into. Okay, sure. Right. Um, but waterfall is the plan on track. Agile is focused on, is the plan correct? The, the important thing there, of course, for, uh, I haven't had to deal with this in a long time, but when I first started dealing with this, people were saying, oh, Agile is just about doing whatever you want, no plan. No, it's about having a plan, but, not, but building the plan in as lightweight as possible, well, and a high ROI plan, and building in that learning, which is really important. Like we're going, we're yes. planning to, we're going to do this, and then we're going to learn and adjust, and constantly validating that the plan is still correct. And if mm-hmm. it's not, shift. Are we doing the right thing, or are we building software that's wonderfully functional that nobody will use? And there's a third one, which um, I call Jedi, and this is Whoa. the team's. It's it's an acronym, JDI. Oh God. Uh, the, these are those teams that ask the question, plan, just do it. We don't need no plan. For those in the software industry, the, the typical word um, is cowboy. Jedi teams and cowboy, they're one of the same. They don't need a plan. Uh, not only the PMs all... Um, uh, potential, the next Steve Jobs, so is the dev team. We're always right. We don't need a plan. We're smart. We'll get it done. I have never met a cowboy dev team that uh, wasn't chock full of five-star devs. Just ask them. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, 
The yeah. Did we cover both of those? Popular? I don't know. I don't know where you're going with that. Oh. So the main thing I wanted to cover was the adaptability. Iterative and adaptive. And with that, and to me, agile is adaptive. That learning part is absolutely critical. And just being iterative has nothing to do with agile. Well, again, I hear the, the groans from the audience that haven't heard this through the time machine, through the internet already. Yes. Just because you iterate doesn't mean you're agile. I've been on many very non-agile, opposite agile products that were iterative. And you don't have to iterate to be agile. Yeah, that's exactly. And that's the main point I wanted to make. I think that main point is can you adapt and learn? You do have to be iterative to be waterfall and scrum. (laughs) And you don't have to be agile to be waterfall and scrum. All right. And and apologies if you're listening to this and I made fun of your email, but it did lead to a good topic. So um, I I, I know you meant well. So you can actually be agile in the traditional waterfall method as well. That's much harder to learn when you have have phase delivery. But if you think about the example I said on the penny game, right? So the problem is, is that each individual completed all their work before they got it done. They broke it into smaller pieces Wait, and, they, and turned it into a did flow. Did you hear what he just said? They completed their work before they got it done. I'm sorry. Each individual. So <laughs> I had teams of four. And then, no, to answer your question, I didn't hear what I said. <laughs> you had teams of four. And let's say those teams of four were, um, I don't know, make something up. A design guy, a PM guy, a dev guy, and a tester guy. Right? What we see nowadays is you have design complete, spec complete. Dev complete, test complete. And all of this work gets chunked as full completeness in order to get to done. A simple fix, cut that crap out. Do one small item, design gets it done, hands it off to PM. He works on that while the design guy starts working on his next thing and shift it through. And if you do that, you can turn, turn waterfall into something significantly more agile and perhaps even agile. That's... What you described is very close to Kanban. It's exactly Kanban. <laughs> Except even then. Like so you, did you just say Kanban is waterfall? No, you can, you can, no, you can fix I'm, waterfall with, by, by letting up I, I, I'm just trying to shove words in your mouth to piss you off. But the other thing to also keep in mind, based on the context that we're talking here, right? You can do Kanban and not be agile. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Right, you can just constantly flow. If you're not evaluating if, if if what you're doing is correct or valuable, this is again why Elizabeth's thing is so so important, and it's so easy to gloss over. Yes, I agree. And uh, I was going to say something else, clever and important, but I forgot what it was. So we're going to go on to item two, which I don't know what it is. So why don't you kick it off, Brent? Okay. Um, if if we think about it in terms of power in words like here's here's another phenomenon that i've noticed we've talked about in the past so we've talked about me joining the data science team and we've also talked about um data science as a as a buzzword um i think most listeners remember the high school uh sex metaphor but the thing that's interesting is even the people with the title aren't really trying to improve themselves. What you're seeing is a lot of people spinning up 
reporting only teams and saying, oh, well, I built a report. That's data science. Yeah. Um, it's an insight. No. It's, <laughs> did, I, did I ever share with you my last manager? One of the metrics, one of the KPIs he wanted to judge me under was TTI, time to insight. And I said, wow, <laughs> that's a fantastic one. I can completely understand what you're trying to say because you wanted me to help shorten the velocity of insight production. But I just need one thing. He's like, after hearing me being so positive of, of his feedback, he's like, yeah, what? What's an insight? How, how do I measure it? How do I know if it occurred? Um, the, when, when you get that little tingly feeling in the back of your neck, that's an insight. I'm, I'm, one of the things that's happening right now, there's, there's a, so people are just producing reports, and it's sort of the build it and they will come, hope. And then what they're discovering... That's not very adaptive. It's not. Um, hey, for those of you who are in this space, I'm going to share with you a very critical KPI that I've developed that I suggest that you use. If you're in this world where you're essentially doing report production and not necessarily doing analysis and helping to try to shorten insight value or insight production and tie together relationships between key variables, if you're just doing reports, instrument your reports and measure one thing, and that is the number of people who are using your report the day after the key executive review or whatever the hell you built the report for. All right. Because they, they found it useful. It would be your metric there. Right. If you're finding yourself building reports that are only used the day before, um, essentially for slideware, then you're not really providing value. These are reports that a PM, you need to figure out a way to Get let, those things done. Let me let me one up you or, or go a different angle here. I think the build it and they will come thing drives me crazy. I work with orgs that are they love this. They want to build the thing that's for everyone, but they don't unveil it until oh, it's not ready yet. We got to do more here. And my approach is if I'm gonna, if you ask me, say, hey, Alan, can you do a report for me that shows the food baths, the fizz baths, blah 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 blah? blah? I'm gonna go yeah. And I'm going to draw it on the whiteboard for you. You want it to look something like this? And you go, no, I'm going to erase some stuff. And I go, like, yeah, something like that would be good. Not, okay, I got feedback from my customer. I take a little picture with my phone. Then I go to the web browser and, and get some Excel and I mock it up. I don't even use real data. I make a picture of it. And, I, and, it's, and maybe it's, it's pulling like mock data from a database, something very simple. I put it in a web page. And I go, hey, Brent, this is what we talked about. He's going to check it out. He goes, oh, the fuzzle doesn't... Uh, I'd rather have that be more important and I get a little feedback from him and maybe some of his peers look at it too and I start spreading it out and they go, yeah, it's pretty good. I think I could use it like this. We got the blah, blah, blah and the fizzle bars because of the fluid blah, because of the fluid blah. So we get that happening and then I actually get some pulling some real data. I know there's a lot of normalization they want to have down the road, but I want to make sure we get all the pieces in there. So it isn't until we've gone that far that I actually get, and I'm not looking for I don't care about insights yet. I care about usefulness. I think the insights will come once that becomes useful. I so, do. When, before you go too much oh, further, hold it. It's so hard to stop in the <laughs> middle. <laughs> I do one thing different. I do everything you just did, but I do one thing first. 
I, I ask, what are you going to do when you have this report? I do. That's two, what I ask. I do two <laughs> things. I say, who do you expect to use this report, and what actions do you expect them to take upon viewing the data? Yeah, I do those things too. But I got so excited about starting off with the with the implementation being something stupid simple. That you can do in five minutes to figure out if you're on the right track or whether your understanding is correct. But yes, and there's the the Jim Moore question. Let's say you had this. Then what do you do with it? That's a great. Let's say you had this. The, this, this is report? the report. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, question I almost always ask. I I say almost because sometimes I forget, but rarely. I always ask for doing something of any significance. So what are we going to do when we have this? I get some idea of the user case. Anyway, I'm going to. It's going to be very simple until I don't even start adding things that I think are clever and interesting and and pretty stuff until I actually think it's going to be useful for a large part of the audience it was designed for. And I can iterate through that and learn very, very quickly. Yep. I'm I'm undergoing that right now with with a project that I just picked up. I just a hate build it and they will come approaches because the, they the, happen so often. The 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 initial approach. So um, one of my peers has has fallen ill. He's he's better again, but he had been designing this thing, and basically what he had been doing is getting requirements from from PM. And when then I when I saw this, I'm like first question I I saw the design from our PM and I said, who's the customer of this? What decisions are they trying to make off of this data, and what actions are they going to take based off of those decisions? And then I came back a, a day later with a new design optimized for that decision-making process. I said, hey, look, if this is what you're trying to do with the data, I can simplify that for you. It's frustrating to me on the, on the, the report side because what we see is a lot of PMs still doing this, this uh, requirement-driven model. Mm-hmm. I have this awesome intuition, and I'm awesome, and I'm just going to write up a document with the requirements and send it to you, and then you implement it. And I'm like, uh, look, dude, I'm a data science team, not a dev team. You try that crap someplace else. <laughs> okay. um, in data science, I want to know what your decisions are, and I'm happy to help you iterate towards them. The, the problem is even the PM doesn't know what the decisions they're trying to do. They're not identifying the goal. This is why that key PI I was mentioning is really critical. Yeah, it can be shown up in, in, in this executive review, and it essentially ends up being a bunch of vanity metrics. But if you want to drive real value, you want to drive real change, you want to accelerate the business, you need to make sure people are acting on what you're doing. And you need to make sure you're providing the right actionability into your design. This is why I think actually Agile and data science are critical that they go hand-to-hand. But the topic I wanted to talk about is the next thing that's happening is as these teams are building all these reports and not measuring that no one's using them, they're, they're beginning to understand the maintenance costs of keeping all of these reports that no one uses online. <laughs> because what they did is they followed your model for, for building a prototype, except they call it the product. And I see, I see a lot of these folks that may not have a lot of expertise in data science yet, but they came from friggin' dev, and they suddenly just forgot, oop, 
Like, okay, you got the prototype. Now we need to harden this and we need to operationalize it. So why are you trying to um, create a lot of the projects I have, ha- literally have thousands of input streams, and instead of trying to manage this like in an async model, they, they pull all these input streams together and they wait for all of them to coalesce and all the, the data has to be there and then they're going to aggregate it up and such that if one fails... No report that week. If if and, and of course, because you have so many data streams, one fails every day. I, I'm, I'm I'm just befuddled that they're forgetting this the how to design. The second thing is I'm finding that again the power in words, data science being a buzzword. That's absolutely a buzzword. And some if it if means the, nothing. If the current Microsoft culture continues to persist it'll eventually mean something that's entirely opposite of how the rest of the world uses it right um sorry world (laughs) sorry in advance uh, it's our fault we view it as innovation but things like normalizing your data doing data conformance these are concepts that are key to data engineering to be able to light up data science and and people are just skipping over these things. And, and uh, I had a, I had a long discussion yesterday, where I had to sit down and explain to them normalization does not mean everybody uses the same schema. Now, Alan, I don't know that you if you have my data engineering skills, but so I do not. In this case, trust me, it doesn't. And if ever that word comes up in database, you call Unky Brent and I'll help you. Unky Brent, what's a database? It is a, uh, it is any file that contains data. Sure is. All right. We're doing a bunch of ranting today. I was going to say something very cynical about data science and about what you're talking about, but I'm feeling good. I want to move on and... Um, Let's jump right into vanity metrics, but we're not going to talk about vanity metrics. But Brent wanted to, I sent Brent some mail this week. I, um, yep. I finally, for the first time ever, went to look up the downloads for our podcast and gave Brent the numbers. But my wonderful provider lost all of my download stats for 2014 and 2013. So we only have 2015. Uh, Brent seemed to think there were some insights there. I thought... The numbers are kind of small. They the, the variance isn't that big. They sort of taper off in in, in orders that make sense to me. But uh, wait, wait, the order makes sense to you? I yes, it does. The order of the counts. The order. Well, let's talk about what you think is an insight, and I'll explain to you why I think it is. It is within the realm of normalcy. Okay. Does that, that sound like a good way to do this? Sure. All right. So what, what was something that you thought was what, – what popped out as you? Wow, that's interesting. There, there were two things that I found interesting. And, and, and I will say the first one, I would, I would agree with you. Um, when we're talking about statistically interesting, we're talking about the d- degree to which random chance – also explains the behavior. Yes. Or that would, I guess, be statistically non-interesting. Right. Right. Um, 
And there are methods to, to sort of show how much random chance could explain this relationship that's being observed versus a, a relationship being there. And you're right in terms of the numbers are, are relatively small. I think the highest number in the list you gave me was 400. No, if, if you look at partial streams plus uh, full downloads, the top one was probably closer to 600. Okay. Uh, I didn't even look at the partials. I just looked at the, the full list. I actually interpreted it as a subset. I didn't understand that it was... Um, yeah, it's weird, it weird the way those are tracked. Yeah. Um, so the, the it, data that, that Alan had was it, it showed how many people did a full download, and then apparently... In addition to those, how many started listening and then stopped? And then what he was saying is that some total was somewhere around 600. Now, the first thing that I noticed, we had just finished episode 21, mm-hmm. and episodes 16 and 17 were in, the, were in the top. Right. Right. They've been out longer, more chance for download. Sure. Completely agree. Um, the, and it could also have just been statistical chance. But... One of the things that I did wanted to do is see if there was a correlation between, say, links. There could be other in additional information. It could be random chance, as you, as you describe, but it could also be additional relationships that we're not paying attention to. For example, how many people are linking to episode 16? What did Alan write in his blurb? Is, is, is search engines... Um, capturing that blurb and it's redirecting traffic there. Yeah, I have none of that data. You do. I I, I have. Uh, I don't have any. I haven't looked at any of that data. <laughs> the but the the one pattern that I found the most interesting, and and again that one because the numbers are so tight and they're small, there's a very good chance it's just random chance. That's okay? that's that's my gut. I. But what I have observed, um, particularly with with blogs. Although you did the aggregation for the last month, the sum total for the last this is oh no, this, this is year. the total since January first. Yeah, the one thing that I did notice though is episodes one, two, three, and four were relatively high in the list, and episode five was the bottom one. And that shows me we have a lot of brand new listeners that haven't got all the way to episode five yet. Maybe. <laughs> that I agree. So, or, or they listened to the first four and said, I've had enough of this crap. Right. Or, hey, let me skip the current events or whatever. But I do think that that is an interesting pattern. It's not what I would have expected looking at the data. And the, the difference between number four and number five was uh, five or six times higher. Episode four and episode five. Mm-hmm. Right. So something is going on there. The, is there, or is it just random? I don't think it's random. Uh, the other data that I have is is both you and I link to the podcast from our blog sites. Yeah. And I do look at my blog stats, and I know introdu- the, the blog I wrote, Introducing A-B Testing, is consistently one of the higher items in my list. So I actually think people are finding episode one via search engine off of our blog and going and starting uh, listening to episode one. There's an, an, uh, then get to four 
or some of those folks sort of get to episode four and then they go off and do their regular scheduled day and then they forget to circle back to A-B testing. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. So let me uh, give you some quick data here on the fly, and then we'll go on from here. So but that's a hypothesis. So let me, let, let me give you a little bit of this. So in January, our top downloads were for episodes 16, 14, 15, pretty spread out. One shows up somewhere down around number seven, and nothing interesting there. Uh, but February gets a little more interesting, if I remember. Maybe it was March. February is interesting in that our top episode 17 came out that month. Then three, one, two, and four follow it in order. So there are. This tells me we have maybe new listeners showing up. Yeah, I don't know. That would be my hypothesis. Where's five? Five, five is always five small. is far down there. I think maybe those. I, I don't know why. I'll have to track episode five over time. See what happened or what we talked about that made episode five so bad. When I look at March, it's eighteen, nineteen, and then two shows up, and then seventeen, eleven, four. So that one not as much. One farther down the list. And then real quick, look at April and May, and then we'll wrap up here. So in April, it was 2019, uh, 3, 2, and 1. And then in May, to cap it off here, it was 21, and 1, 2, and 3 show up way down the line. So it, that kind of tells me my, my insight, my hypothesis from that, that again, I have to look at all Good kinds job. of data I'm to so figure out. Good job, I'm so proud of you. Is Power some, in words, baby. So, somewhere around March, April, we got some new listeners that started listening, and that's and that's why those those earlier episodes started popping up on the downloads. March was our one year anniversary. I don't remember. I did a uh, I did a blog post in January. All right, you know what? I think we just contributed to a lot of partial downloads as people stop <laughs> stop yeah. streaming our episode right now. <laughs> so should, anyway. I you, want are, to see more of this data because I think I think we can help to defend the the honor of data science uh, against. Well, uh, well this will be that we won't return to this for a while. Don't worry, those who we scared away. But uh, we'll um, we'll come back to this once we have some more data and see how see what it means. You Sound gonna good? give me the data? I wish I could export it to Excel. I wanna, I I'll have to figure how to do this. Tooth of the weasel. All right, all right. I'll give you your own special password that. I will use with my keystroke logger. Okay. (sighs) (laughs) All right. I'm not Brent. I am. All right. See you later. (laughs) Bye, guys. Thank you. you.